or some device, you'll be looking at the text with us this morning. We're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. 1 Samuel's in the Old Testament. Prior, you'll see it prior to Psalms. So if you get to Psalms, go back to the left and you'll, you'll see 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8. So just a little bit of, of recap as we, as we get into it. Um, you know, t- our tendency here is to preach through books of Scripture, um, right? Starting at the beginning and just kind of working our way through each book over the course of weeks or months, however long is necessary. We've been in 1 Samuel now for the last several weeks. 1 Samuel is um, historical narrative. Basically, it is, it's a history of the people of Israel um, for the time period roughly around 1,000 B.C. So we're talking 3,000 years removed um, and, and it covers um, a couple different generations. And what we're seeing is the history of, of Israel moving from the period of the judges into having, having a king. Um, and what was going on during that time frame. And then the theological implications of it. And we do this. We go um, to places like the Old Testament. To historical narrative. Which sometimes can feel a little bit removed from our current setting. In context, because we believe that all of Scripture is God breathed, that all of it um, is, is beneficial, that all of it brings life, and that all of it points us to Jesus. And so we try to alternate between Old Testament and New Testament books and the different genres of Scripture as well to make sure that we, we know how to approach all the different types of Scripture that we have. And so we're in, right now, in this period of history, we're in the era of Judges. And, and so Judges. Were, were men who had been appointed, um, sometimes women, who were, would provide some military leadership, who would provide um, just literal like kind of court um, decisions in a very kind of regional way. They weren't really national leaders for the most part. They were more local guys. And, and Samuel is really the first one we see that has gained um, national across the 12 tribes influence, where his, his, he is known as a judge and as a prophet and has a voice that, that all the people are hearing. And yet we're in an era, right, if you remember back in the last verse of Judges is, hey, the people just kind of did what they wanted. Um, and that there was a lack of strong leadership. And so let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 8. When Samuel, become, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn, his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. We're going to stop there for, for a moment. What we're going to see as we work through Samuel is the timeline. Sometimes you're going to have chapters that are covering a really tight amount of time. And then all of a sudden things can just jump. And so last week, as Ricky was preaching in chapter 7, we saw the timeline jump 20 years in one verse, right? It just says, and they lamented for 20 years. We, we turn over to chapter 8, and it just tells us that Samuel's now old, right? That he has grown children. So the timeline is moving quickly. 
And, and just initially, we're kind of leaving the introduction um, of the book and beginning to move into the heart, the thrust of it. And, and the first thing we see about Samuel, right, who, who was learned to serve the Lord as a young man, watching Eli, the priest, whose sons were far from the Lord. That we're now seeing a repeat of this, right? That Samuel has followed the Lord, has, has become a prophet, has served and pleased the Lord into his old age. And yet he has a couple grown boys who are not honoring the Lord, who are perverting justice, who are displeasing um, what God's doing. We don't get a lot of detail here um, as, as to why or to what Samuel was thinking. But we see this question in verse 6. That it bothered, it displeased Samuel that the people were asking for a king. And I think on a first reading, right, you you see that he's appointed his sons as judges beyond him. Um, And then we see that it says that the people that are like, hey, we don't really like your sons, give us a king. So is Samuel simply offended? Is this a familial thing where he's like, hey, you know, I've done a good job, give my boys a chance. Is that the issue? And we're going to find that it's not, that that's not the issue that was going on. This role of judges was not a hereditary position. Um, We're going to be looking back in Numbers and Deuteronomy some. This is Deuteronomy 16, um, verse 18. um, I think Colin's got fast fingers. She'll keep up with me if you don't want to turn to all of them. Um, All right, so this is Deuteronomy 16, 18. Um, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Right? This is the goal, is that you're going to appoint them. It's not a hereditary position. It's not passed down. It's not a hierarchy. It's when you see someone, you appoint them, and they're going to execute judgment and justice Right? in, these, in different communities. Verse 19, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and it subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So this was kind of the charge for the judges. And so when you see someone who is doing this, right, you raise them up. But what you'll find as you read through the book of Judges is there just were never enough. There were never enough qualified people to lead the people well. And it's why there was lawlessness. It's why it says that people just kind of did what they wanted and did what was right in their own eyes. And so we have a situation where there's not enough judges and Samuel's sons aren't qualified to be judges. Like they're literally breaking um, Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20. And in, the, in, in the, the midst of this, there was an anticipation that a king would someday emerge, right? So let's, if you look at Genesis 17, verse 6, we're going all the way back to, to Abram, who is the father of the nation of Israel. His calling as God is laying out and saying, hey, Abraham, I'm going to bring nations from you. You're going to bless the world. If you look in verse 6, in the midst of this, he says to, to Abram, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Right? And so maybe your first thought is is prophetic, right? That Jesus, the king, is going to come from the line of Abraham. We see that. But there was already this kind of thought being placed that one day we're going to have a king to rule over us. And then if we go over back to Deuteronomy chapter 17 this time, beginning in verse 14. 
God's speaking to his people and he says this, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, and you dwell in it, then they're going to say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Right? So he says, like, you're going to ask for this. You're going to tell me that you want a king. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." All right, so we see that, that Samuel is not, um, he's not angry because they're, they're, they're dissing his children, right? There's something else going on that there was, this was not a, a role for him to pass down. And there was also this anticipation that there was going to be a king eventually. And yet it says in verse 6 that Samuel is frustrated, that he's upset about this, right? That why are they asking for a king? And so we have 12 tribes of Israel. They're, they're kind of loosely connected at this point. And they're looking, right? They have some elders and they come together to Samuel. And they're like, hey, we want to be um, unified. We want to be stronger. We want to be protected. Bind us together and give us a king to rule over all of us. So let's pick up in verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that I have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them." And so we see now, why is, why is Samuel upset? It's not because they've rejected his sons, it's because they're rejecting God. Right? That as Samuel and God are talking, God tells him, look, they've rejected me. If you turn to Deuteronomy or, or look over my shoulders one more time, um, in chapter 33, verse 5, we see this. Thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun, when the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. This is talking about Moses' kind of final blessing. And what he's saying is, listen, people of God, people of Israel, God is our king. He is our king. And so even though there was this anticipation that would, there would later be a king that God would choose to rule, that would, would take after his heart, what we have now is the people coming to, to, to Samuel and saying, we want a king. We're ready for one. Give us one. And, and Samuel is offended on behalf of God, right? Because they want a king like the nations around them. And God says, look, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. 
What type did they want? One who looked like the other nations. And here's the, here's the issue we're going to begin to get into, is that we begin to be reminded of where sin comes from, right? If we go back to the garden, the very first sin was this, that God had given a law, a rule, a command to, to Adam and Eve, and they believed that God was holding out on them. They believed that there was something that they could obtain if they, if they circumvented God, if they went around him, of like, hey, God, we're cool with you, but we're going to do our thing as well which is not obedience, which is not surrender, right? And as they gain this, as they sin against him, they're then shocked at the outcome that they have fractured their relationship with God. But they believed that they could get, right, um, more knowledge, more understanding. They could become godlike, if not God themselves, right, by subverting God. That was the first sin is saying, God, I don't trust you, so I'm going to get mine. And what the people are saying is they're not willing to wait on God to raise up a king for them. But he says, give us a king to judge us, right? Uh, To judge us like all the other nations. They're not saying, hey, give us one after God's heart. They're saying, hey, we see these other kings. Their nations are strong. Their militaries are strong. We need a guy like that. So Samuel, you help us. You help us find one. Church, they've forgotten that they are meant to be a set-apart, holy, and distinct people. That their role in the world is different from all the other nations. Right? If we go back to Genesis 12, the very calling that Abraham gets was, you're going to be a light and a blessing to the nations. Right? From you is going to come hope. Right? We know that this is Jesus. Right? The nations of the world are meant to see your distinction and your, your uniqueness and your relationship with God and long for that. Be drawn to it so that they will come and worship and know the one true God. He's like, you're not supposed to be like everyone else. You're supposed to be set apart. We're going to go back to Deuteronomy again. Chapter 7, verse 6. I had more than I can mark myself. Um, This is verse 6. God speaking. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So he's saying, listen, it's not that you are special. It's that God's special. And that he's chosen you and he's made you a treasured possession to be distinct and set apart from the rest of the world. If you turn over just a few chapters to Deuteronomy 26, verse 18. The Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. And he has promised you that you are to keep all of his commandments. And then one more in Leviticus. So go back to the left if you're trying to keep up with me. Chapter 20, verse 26. And we see this. You shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. This was their heritage. This was their history was that they were holy. They were distinct. They were unique. Why? So that people would see them and would then be drawn to worship God. Not for their glory, but for God's glory. And what here are the people saying? Hey, God, we want what other people have and we want to be like them. And, and so we know Samuel has your ear. So maybe he'll get us a good king. 
And just as they tried to weaponize the ark earlier in 1 Samuel, now they're almost trying to weaponize a prophet. Of saying, you pick because you seem to, to know what God wants. But really what we want is not him. We want a king over us. They're trying to get something circumventing God. And so what this is, is that there's been a long pattern of rejection already in the people of God. So this is not just a political problem. This is a political manifestation of a spiritual problem. Right? It's, it's coming out on the surface of we want a political leader, but really the spiritual issue is, is God, we don't trust you. And you're not enough for us. Right? Which seems harsher, seems more damning. And yet that's what the people are claiming. Let's keep, continue. Pick up in verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and all of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not answer you in that day. What a harsh warning, right? What a harsh warning that he is saying to them, right? Like, listen, people, God, if if you choose this king, if you choose this king, he is going to make you slaves, right? Maybe not slaves in in the fact that you were in Egypt, but he's going to take from you. He's going to demand sons and daughters. He's got to build a military. He's got to build an infrastructure. He's got to build a nation. He's going to take from you. And he's going to want it. And he's going to take from your crops. And he's going to tax you, right? And he's just laying this out, just a list of, he's going to take this, and 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 he's going to take this, right? You can almost imagine, right, as you're talking to a small child, and you're like, have you thought through what you're about to do? Because what you're about to do is not going to be good for you. What you're about to do is going to cause physical pain, and because you're not listening to your parent, there's also going to be some, some discipline that comes along with it. And so the question is, is are you a fool? Yeah, Dad, I'm a fool because I'm about to do it, right? Like that's just kind of their... The, we, you see a toddler do this. You'll see a teenager do this, right? Sometimes we see adults do this, right? Hey, I'm, I'm going to ignore all logic and all wisdom to do what it is that I want. I am so set in my way. Did they have a chance to repent here? A chance to say, uh, I want to think twice. Never mind. That doesn't sound great. But their desire is to have a king, to see a king, to be able to touch a king. And faith in God is not sufficient. They want someone that's more like them, that is more comfortable. And Samuel is saying, but at a tremendous cost. It will be a tremendous cost to you. Not to them, to you, to your family. It will affect each of you financially, relationally, right? And then he even goes on to say, like, there's going to be a day where you're going to cry out because you will feel enslaved by this king. 
right? So listen, think about what God has done for his people so far. He took them from being slaves and has led them into freedom. He is, given, is building a nation, has given them a law. He has fought their battles. He provided food, both manna and quail, when there was none in the desert. He provided water, right? He fought their battles when they couldn't. It, it, even in First Samuel, right, we see Dagon fall over in this temple when the ark gets brought in. That God's like, I don't need you to fight for me. I'll fight for myself. Right, that God has led them, he's guided them, he's provided for them, he's given them peace and victory. He has called out and raised up leaders among them to lead them rightly, like Samuel. He has done all of this in their history, and they're like, we need a king. And so he says, Samuel, they're rejecting me. I have done all that a king would do. And they're saying it's not sufficient. And so just so that we're clear, here's all I've done, and here's what he's going to do. Which do you want? We'll take this, right? We'll take, we'll take the second door. It, it, it's, it's, it seems insane. Because if you go back to Exodus, what was happening is the people had been slaves for 400 plus years. So they were crying out to God. And what did he do? He heard them. And he responded and he rescued them. That is meant to be remembered and known here as we read verse 18. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen. Right? You weren't enslaved. You weren't defeated. You chose him for yourselves. And the Lord will not answer you in that day. You'll get what you want and there will be consequences for it. And I'm going to let you have it. Right? This is like harsh and heavy and so you're hopeful, okay, they're going to they're gonna hear this, and they're going to go, okay, okay, Samuel, this is not what we want. You know, sorry, we'll try again later. Let's pick up in verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, right? This is where you're just screaming, no, like, what are you thinking? And they said, no, there shall be a king over us, that we may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Right? Like, you're reading this as their history, but you're also seeing the theological implications. That you can imagine Samuel going, I just told you all that's going to happen. And they're like, Give us a king, we're ready. So he's like, okay, everybody go back to your cities. We're going to start the process. And just as an old man of God, the heaviness and the weight, knowing what was going to be there for the coming generations, that they were going to get what they asked for. And they they seemingly, they were were not blind to it. They They were not tricked into it. They're choosing to walk into this eyes wide open. And we, we're not going to have time to go into this aside, but maybe for a conversation in gospel community this week, or maybe just even for you and your own um, time with the Lord in meditation, the question is this. Have you ever been so convinced of something you want that reasonable logic, that wisdom, that godly advice couldn't pull you out of it? Right? That you were so convinced of what you wanted to do that you were going to taste the consequences, you were going to learn the hard way, and nothing was going to stop you. Um, 
You know, you, you see this with kids sometimes when they're trying to buy something with their own money, and you're like, it's a piece of junk. It's going to break, and you're going to be really upset in like six minutes. I'm buying it, Dad. I've got money. It's mine. I want it. I've always wanted it. I can't imagine anything else I want more. You know, and then six minutes later, it's broken, and they're like, why'd you let me buy it? Right? Like, right? Like, that's like a, a comical idea of this, and yet we can walk in our own sin this way, and now we see a nation walking in this way. That they're avoiding logic and wise counsel. And what did they say they wanted? Oh, we want a king who will judge us, who will go out for us, and who will fight for us. Like, what has God been doing but these things? Listen, we're going to stop there. A little bit of a cliffhanger. Um, as we will go into the selection of a king next week. But the question for us is this, is, is we kind of wrestle with, okay, so we understand the passage, but what about for us? Listen, God is not opposed to a king, right? He has told them you're going to have a king, but he wants that king because he is one. He's going to give them one in Jesus, but he wants the king to be a man after his own heart, one who would know him and love his law and would reflect him rightly. Right, church, we are meant to rightly reflect the character of God in the world. Right? It's why God is so upset with his people in Amos. Because he says, you're saying you're carrying my name forward, but you're carrying your name forward, and you're dishonoring. You're not bringing glory to my name. You're making my name look horrible because you're not reflecting my character. They have, the people of God here have lost sight of God, of their allegiance to him. And of the benefits that they're going to miss when they walk away from him. So church, this morning for us is this question, right? They wanted to give lip service to God and get their own way, right? They wanted both. Their hearts were divided of like, God, we're not walking away from you. We just don't want to follow you completely. It's a divided heart. Yes, God, you, but also more, right? We want to weaponize you. We want to use you for wealth. We want to look like the world. We want to look like others. We don't want to be distinct. They're forgoing their role that God has given them amongst all the peoples. They're giving it up. They're calling and their relationship. In church, for us, listen, America's not Israel, right? There's not, a, there's not a causation here, right? We're not. But let's talk about the church, right? The church has to be careful not to forgo, forgo the role that God has given us. To be reflective of the character of God in the midst of a world, right? We are meant to be distinct and holy and separate and other than. Not because you're better. Not because you're more moral. But because God has called you from something into something else. He has taken you from being an enemy of God to being an adopted son and daughter of the king. And we are to reflect his image. And guess what? That doesn't look like the world around us. And yet, what do we often hear conversations in the church looking like? I, I, I don't want to be seen as different. I want to be, like, let's highlight our sameness. Like, what, are we, what do we have in common with the world? Let's make it an easy bridge for them to walk over. And he's saying, no, no, no. The role is to be distinct. That, that your sexual ethic is different. Right? That your ethic on justice is different. That your ethic on generosity is different. And it is succinct and, and it's better. And people are going to be, at first, offended by it. And then they're going to be, right, they're going to be longing for it. 
because it's going to reflect the character of God and the kingdom of God, and they're going to be drawn in. And so when we try to blur those lines and say, look, we're all the same, we just love Jesus, but we're all the same and we look just the same, it's super confusing. Like, why would you want Jesus now? And so the people of God here are saying, hey, God, you've called us to be distinct. We just want to be like everybody else. Church, this is a warning for us. Are we going to walk in the distinction that God has called us to in Christ? Or do we want to be like everyone else? Are we going to trade our distinction for political clout? Are we going to trade our distinction and our surrender and our allegiance to God, right, for for a voice in the culture, right, because we want to have approval? Or are we willing to say, we may be called names, we may be called bigots, we may be um, looking like fools, Yet Jesus is sufficient, and he's enough. And people are going to be drawn to this, right? The light is either going to draw them, or it's going to send them scurrying back into darkness. It's going to do one of two things. But we don't try to shade the light. Listen, there's a careful thing we have to say, though. The gospel is offensive enough on its own, okay? Because it's saying you're not sufficient. God is more and bigger and further away, and you can't get back to him. So you need him, right? You need Jesus' life perfectly lived that you didn't do. His death, paying the, pa- the, the, the wrath of God, the price that God has for our lack of holiness. And then Jesus beating sin, Satan, and death and living again. You need that because you can't do it on your own. That is offensive to say that you're dead in your sins, right? That you, you're, you're far from God. We don't have to add morality Right and say and start to add. Well, Scripture also says you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this. That Scripture doesn't say right. And so the church for a long time has said things like the Bible says you can't drink. Well, it doesn't say that. It talks about drunkenness, right? So we don't need to add additional offense, right? We just want to walk in holiness, right? We want to walk in the image and the character of God. And so we don't we can't legislate morality to people. But we walk in intimate relationship with Jesus. And as we are transformed into his likeness, there will be distinction. And people will want to know, why are you willing to say no to things that everyone else says yes to? Why are you willing to say yes to things that everyone else says no to? And it's because I'm I'm aligned with Jesus. My allegiance is his. I'm trusting him and I'm following him. And he has called me to this. He wants our trust. He wants our allegiance. And the question this morning, is your heart divided? Are you hedging your bets? Right? So think about this for a moment. If, if a man looked at, at a woman and said, hey, I want to ask you to marry me, but I have a girlfriend over here. Just in case you say no. Just in case this doesn't work out, I'm just hedging my bets. I'm going to have two, but hey, you're, I'm all yours. And you're all mine. Right, like that that's that's right, it sounds offensive and it sounds comical. You're like, no one would say that. And yet that's what the people of God here are doing. And if we're not careful, we can divide our hearts this way and say, Hey God, hey, you're, I'm all in for you. I'm just hedging my bets a little bit. I'm just holding on to a little bit. because uh, I might need to be king for a little while on my throne. And so hey, if you want to help me out, I'll take it. I'll take the promotion, I'll take the approval, I'll take the relationship. But make sure you're doing what I need. And we begin to usurp the throne and become king ourselves. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Trust me. Align yourself with me. Give me your allegiance. 
So what is it you need this morning besides God? You need God plus a relationship. You need God plus money. You need God plus approval. You need God plus power. What is it? Because in that, you're showing your divided heart. And we listen, we all have had that. But, but are we able to look this morning and see that we have a king, right, who is calling us to trust him and to surrender and to follow him? And that, in, its, in, in fact, is salvation. That's what salvation is. It's surrendering our throne to him. Following and trusting him. Because in Matthew 6, verse 24, we see this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, right? Like, you cannot have two masters. You cannot please them both. Just like I can't have my girlfriend and my wife and make them both feel like I'm, like, solely theirs. Because you're not. Your heart is divided. The God is saying, you can't have me and something else that you look to for your satisfaction. It's me. I'm everything you need. And guess what? Our good father gives good gifts. But he is the giver of the gift. And he is ultimately the greatest gift. So do we want him or simply the things that he gives? Listen, the false lesser kings, the false lesser gifts will not satisfy. In church, will we be reminded this morning of this, that God is not a harsh taskmaster. They had been in Israel. Sorry, they had been in, in Egypt under a harsh taskmaster taskmaster and they cried out he then tells them in first samuel 8 you're going to cry out again it's going to get brutal and you're going to cry out again but in matthew 11 verse 28 jesus says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like that in Christ we find love, joy, find stability and peace. We find approval and belonging. We find acceptance and security. We find all these things that we are clamoring for with lesser kings that won't satisfy. And Jesus is saying, come in and you get it all. And what I'll ask of you is light because I've done the work on your behalf. It's easy. So the question this morning as we end is this. Is would we recognize him? Do we recognize him as the, the, the less than harsh taskmaster? Do you see the harsh taskmasters in your life that are demanding more and more that you can never satisfy and never please? I think one that right now is just kind of across the table would be the internet or social media. You cannot please social media, Right? You, they will always want more. You will always need to capitulate on more. You can never be right. You're, you're never far enough along. And it just feels oppressive, right? This harsh thing that you cannot satisfy. And God's saying, that's not me. In Christ, you're a son or daughter of the king. I'm not harsh. I'm gentle. And I've, I've done what you could not do. So here's what I want us to do. We're going to enter a... a this narrative of the king. That's where we're headed now. And I'm just going to kind of leave a couple questions out there for us as we do this over the next few weeks. Is one, is your heart divided? Right? Ask the Spirit to, to show you, is it divided? God, am I giving you some and not all? Are there areas where you're not satisfied? 
And we're going to see what happens as God provides a king, as the people clamor for one, the implications of that and the consequences of that, that we would be asking that for us as a church and us as individuals of God, do I trust you and am I resting in you? Are you my king or am I really in a battle for the throne? And then I want to put someone else on it other than you. We'll trust that the Spirit is going to lead us and guide us in the midst of a 3,000-year-old story that will have impact today and in the days and weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, you are faithful to us. God, and as we shake our heads and grimace at the foolishness of your people in 1 Samuel 8, would we not be so arrogant as to think that we haven't had moments like that as well, where we have foolishly ignored what you are calling us to, what you are leading us into, the things that you have given, and we have taken lesser satisfaction, lesser joys, lesser kings, and put them on a throne that they don't belong on. So, Father, we we want to wrestle with this in the weeks to come. We want to leave some things hanging a little bit so that we will deal with the text and not just nod our heads in an interesting story. God, we need you. We need your spirit to, to stir and to illuminate as we do these things. God, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth now. God, would we confess things that you're already revealing? Would we sing true things to you? And if we need to talk or to pray with someone, God, would we do that in this moment? God, would we respond to you as you're leading and guiding now? In Jesus' name, amen.